0: Today we're going to consider Christian conduct. Christian conduct or behaviour. And we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through to 12. We can read those verses now again. Verse 8. Finally... Be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensure it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Over the past weeks, we've been looking at exhortations to Christians. To be in subjection to rulers and their governors, that applies to all us Christians, to sub- be in submission to earthly rulers. Also, Christian slaves are to be in subjection to their masters with all fear, that is, fear of God, not fear of their masters. Christian wives are to be in subjection to their husbands as unto the Lord. And last week we saw that husbands are to honour their wives and to love them with a self-sacrificing love. A rule of thumb with regards Christian behaviour is given in chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter said, Having your conversation honest, conversation means conduct, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Ultimately, it's all about the glory of God. Glorifying God during your earthly sojourn. As you pass through this world in the fear of God and seek to glorify him. Last of all, in in this section on Christian conduct, we shall consider the appropriate conduct within the body of believers. In verse 8 of chapter 3, Peter said, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. First of all, On that list, Peter said that Christians are of one mind, like-minded. That said, we're not going to be in total agreement about everything, are we? That's that's the reality. That's the everyday experience of us. Being in one mind, being like-minded. We're not going to be in total agreement in anything and in everything. But we are nevertheless to be governed by the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ and his will for us as His redeemed. It's probably easier to think what it does not mean. When we see that verse, be of one mind, be like-minded, what doesn't it mean? It does not mean forsaking Bible doctrine for the sake of unity, as so many churches do. Neither does it mean embracing worldly practices that contradict sound doctrine. For example, we should not fill our membership with unregenerate people by baptising infants. No better way of filling the church with unregenerate people baptising babies. It's a recipe for disaster. We should not appease the feminist movement within and without the church by appointing women as preachers and overseers. We should not remove the offence of the gospel of Christ from our teaching and preaching. The fact of the matter is that the preaching of the cross is an offence. And that is because it calls on people to show repentance towards God, to trust in Jesus for salvation and everlasting life, and to receive a righteousness that is not their own. People are more comfortable with the idea of being self-righteous than receiving the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, we need to be united and of one mind as Bible-believing Christians, trusting entirely on our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The unbelieving world, though it may hate us and revile us or insult us, it can nevertheless rightly expect to see in us a united stand for truth and for Jesus, who is the embodiment of truth. Secondly, we see in verse 8 that Christians have compassion one of another, which means suffering with one another. That makes perfect sense when you consider that that Christians are members of one body with Jesus as their head. As such, to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul said, there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Therefore, there should be no place for jealousy amongst brethren, but there should always be a place for suffering the anguish of brothers and sisters in Christ instead of distancing yourself from the sorrows of others. As Paul also said, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. That's what having compassion one of another is all about. Thirdly, Christians love as brethren. The Greek for all of that, love as brethren, is just one word, philadelphos. It denotes a special love and affection for brothers and sisters in Christ. Tragically, there are Christians who barely talk to one another. And their mutual hatred and contempt is at times visible and palpable within a church fellowship. That ought to bring that ought to ring alarm bells when you think that in John chapter thirteen, verse thirty five, Jesus said to his disciples By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. Again, people are watching. And we would seek to glorify God by loving one another. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle John said, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, that person is still dead in his trespasses and sins even though he may have a testimony of how Jesus came into his heart. If he doesn't love the brethren, he's still dead in his sins. Fourthly, Christians are pitiful. In other words, they are tender-hearted. That is about how we deal with one another, with our actions flowing from deep within us. Being pitiful means that we are to be moved are motivated by bowels of compassion and that will inevitably result in more than a just a warm sympathetic smile, one of those Christian smiles, or a pat on the back for one another. There's got to be more to it than that. Last of all in verse 8, Christians are courteous or lowly-minded. This is seen as a weakness and a godless society in which people are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. A society that encourages greater self-esteem and not less. However, the Bible teaches us to consider others better than ourselves. We are to seek the good of others and to magnify Jesus without concern for ourselves. That does not mean having a disparaging view of your God-given abilities, but it does mean having a high regard for others and for the honour of God. Having described how Christians are to conduct themselves, Peter went on to say how they are not to behave. Look at verse 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Perhaps your immediate thoughts when reading verse 9 are that Peter was referring to those occasions when you, as a Christian, are on the receiving end of insults from the world, when the world is evil towards you or the world rails against you? You're not to do the same back. It's all about the world here. No doubt that is the case, but why stop with the world? Surely what Peter said not only not only refers to, to conduct outside the church, but also within the church. Unless you know a church where everybody always behaves in accordance with verse 8, and no one ever resorts to the evil deeds and slanderous words of verse 9. Tell me where that church is, if you know of one. There were certainly squabbles in the churches that the Apostle Paul wrote to. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul said, All the law is fulfilled in one word in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself, but if ye bite one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Let's not kid ourselves that things are any better in the churches now. How a Christian responds to evil and insults, especially within a church setting, is vitally important if his concern is, is for the honour of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is truly his desire to de-escalate the unpleasantness and restore peace and godly fellowship. When you are the recipient of evil and railings because of your faith in Jesus, that has to be something to rejoice about. Because you are suffering the reproach of the Son of God, who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross. I can think of no other no greater privilege than suffering for Christ's sake. And as can be seen in verse nine, you do not respond to evil with evil or do railings or to railings with railings. Rather you bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them to be brought under a conviction of sin. You are to bless them and the way to do that is to pray that they might receive the same undeserved favour from God that you received when you repented of your wickedness and trusted in Jesus for forgiveness. Last of all in verse 9 Peter said, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. If you are a Christian, you are already blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is something that even a lowly Christian slave has every reason to rejoice over when he is being treated shamefully. By his master, that he has every spiritual blessing from Christ. Furthermore, having already been blessed with forgiveness of sins, peace with God, and everlasting life through faith in Jesus, you have been blessed with a heavenly inheritance that you will receive from Jesus when he comes again in judgment. In other words, in this world and in the world to come, you are blessed and forever blessed if you belong to Jesus. As such, you will inevitably want to be a blessing to others. And most of all, your prayer is for them that they might receive from God the blessings of salvation and everlasting life. Therefore, God has called you to inherit his infinite blessing, and that impels you to see others blessed, including those who are evil towards you and who speak reproachfully to you. You want to see them blessed and brought out of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall now look at verses 10 and 11. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. That describes the life of the Christian. Loving life and seeing good days refers to having a fruitful spiritual life as Jesus makes you lie down in green pastures, as he leads you beside still waters and in the paths of righteousness. Even if you are a slave with an evil master, or you are a wife with a husband who does not honour you, you refrain your tongue from evil and your lips that they speak no guile. In other words, you do not speak to people contemptuously or deceitfully. You eschew or shun evil and do good. That ought to be par for the course for Christians. It goes without saying that we are to be people who do good or seek to do good in order that we might glorify our Heavenly Father. And we try to do good with the Holy Spirit working in us. You wouldn't expect anything else from Christians. And it's not about trying to earn favour with God. It's not about trying to secure everlasting life. Christians already have it, having been saved from their sins by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Last of all, in verse 11, we see that Christians seek peace and ensue it or pursue it. If you are a Christian... It's unlikely that a Christ-hating world will be falling over itself to make peace with you. The world hated Jesus, hates Jesus. There's no reason to think that the world will love you and want to make peace with you. But you are nevertheless, if possible, as much as lieth in you to live peaceably with all men. That is, that's what you, your responsibility is, to try and live at peace with men. Do you as a Christian at least try to live your born-again life according to those words of the Apostle Peter, with God working in you to do his good will? If not, it would be highly presumptuous of any professing Christian to say, it's just as well... That is, it is by grace that I am saved. Because I don't actually do any of those things. What we have in these verses with respect to Christian conduct, what they do, what they don't do, are the consequence of being born again, being new creatures in Christ, made new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a child of God. You belong to Jesus. And that brings to us our final verse for today. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The righteous are born-again Christians. Simple as that. They are people who are clothed in garments of salvation and the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not self-righteous, but righteous with the righteousness of God. What a tremendous comfort it is to know that God, your God, dear Christian, is watching over you. If he wasn't, you would be like a sheep to the slaughter in this wicked world. And since the Lord is watching over you, he will care for you and he will keep you from all evil according to his good pleasure. I say that because it might be God's purpose for you to glorify him when all of your attempts to live peaceably with men have come to nothing. And with the eyes of the Lord upon you, why would you even think to render evil for evil or railing for railing? If God be for you, who can be against you? With the eyes of the Lord upon you, what reason could there possibly be for not trusting in his protective care as you bless those who hate you? None. No reason at all. Finally, in verse 12, Peter said, But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And what a contrast that is. If you are not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, if you are not the righteous, then this applies to you. And God does not even look at you. Repent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will know what it is to have the eyes of of a loving Heavenly Father watching over you as he cares for you. Amen.